0: Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, thanks so much for joining me. This is Dr. Fred. We're going to go over Revelation 11 today, where we discuss the two witnesses and the seventh trumpet. Now, these two topics are Are revealed to us, and other things are simply not revealed about them. And because of that, we should be content with not knowing. But that's hard, isn't it? Because we're human beings, and we like to know all the details, all the secrets. However, most of us um, must learn, unfortunately, to be content with what God does not tell us. We want to know the details, though, even when they're not particularly stated or even implied. But let's take a look here. Revelation 11, 1 to 2. That particular section, those two verses, highlight information concerning the temple. Now, this is most undoubtedly the temple that will exist during the coming tribulation. There is no temple right now in Israel. It will exist, according to Scripture, during the tribulation. And this is most likely what John is seeing. Let's look at the text. Verse one and two. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there, but leave out the court, which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city under foot for 42 months. All right. So John sees and hears an angel who stands and then says, directs John to measure the temple of God, the altar, and the area where those who will worship uh, will come with the reed-like measuring rod that he was given. Now, the angel specifically tells John to ignore the cord that is outside the temple proper. And of course, we have to ask why, because the area was, not, was normally where Gentiles could go and could gather, and by doing so, would not desecrate the temple itself. Well, the answer is given to us. It's been given to the Gentiles. The angel says, that's what's going to happen. It's been given to the Gentiles. Do not count that portion of the outer court. Don't worry about measuring it. It's been uh, it's been given to the Gentiles who will tread, or another word that probably is a little bit better to use is trample. They'll just walk all over a holy ground, and it won't matter to them. And they will trample the holy city, which of course is a reference to Jerusalem underfoot for forty-two months. Now, forty-two months is three and a half years on the Jewish calendar. Of 360 days per year not our calendar which is 365 days so all of this ties into daniel chapter 2 where the final four kingdoms were seen by nebuchadnezzar in a dream and that dream was fully interpreted by the prophet daniel all of these final four kingdoms are ruled by gentile rulers the first one nebuchadnezzar the second one the medes and the persians also Gentiles. The third one, Alexander the Great, Gentile. The fourth is the Roman Empire, Gentile. And the Bible talks about this fourth kingdom being revived at the end. So it'll be a redo of the Roman Empire on steroids, if you will. And that will be probably likely led by a gentile ruler so what's coming to this world however long it takes to come to fruition will be the final global kingdom of daniel and that'll be ruled over by the antichrist who appears to be gentile however he could also be a mix gentile and jewish as was herod during jesus's day herod had jewish lineage from one parent and gentile from another Now the next several verses point out the two witnesses whom God raises up to make an indelible mark on the world during their ministry. Verse three says this, and I will give my power, my power, notice that I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, These are the two olive trees, verse four continues, and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. That's pretty interesting. This is a fascinating look at these two men who will be used by God to warn and evangelize during this point in the tribulation. Now, some commentators believe these two witnesses rise up during the first portion of, of the tribulation, while others believe they have their ministry during the second portion leading to the end of the tribulation. I fall into this second group. And there's a number of reasons for that, which I'm not going to go into right now. I would just recommend that you do your own study and find out what makes most sense to you. And um, then just go from there. I fall into the latter group that believes this is kind of the second portion of the tribulation. uh, When Antichrist has risen, when he reveals himself, when he gains uh, a lot of momentum here. The cogent points are made in each, though. People who believe that it's the first part of the tribulation or the second, they all have their really good points to make. So you're going to need to research it yourself and and decide what you think. But in the end, we should simply know that their ministry will last for 1,260 days. And by the way, that is on the Jewish calendar— That is 42 months, three and a half years. Each day in that calendar was 30 days long. All right. So let's move on here. Notice the miraculous ability that these two individuals will have during the time that they prophesy. Verse three. In verse three, let me go back and say uh, that they are going to be able to relay the messages of god they will prophecy as verse three tells us they will prophecy and um, it means basically to relay what god tells them the fact that there are two witnesses not just one by the way goes all the way back to the old testament the hebrew scriptures when valid testimony under that covenant required two witnesses that's uh, deuteronomy 19 15 1915 and what's also interesting is uh, you'll note that jesus in sending out missionaries sent them out in pairs two people mark six to seven luke 10 2 acts 13 2 and acts 15 39 through 40 so it's clear from the text that people will absolutely hate what these two men have to say I mean, this shouldn't surprise us, right, because of the way society is now, where anyone who doesn't parrot the accepted narrative is often silenced, banned, censored, doxxed, and may even lose their job. The woke culture is growing and has, unfortunately, a very serious grip on major aspects of society. the fact that these two men will shoot fire from their mouths to quote-unquote devour their enemies tells us that there will be tremendous hatred directed at these two people and all because they dare to tell the truth that people do not want to hear people today it is obvious prefer lies they have itching ears that's also fulfillment of scripture they want to hear what makes them feel good That's all they want to hear. They don't want the truth. Case in point, we now know, and I've mentioned this before, unequivocally that Pfizer did not do any testing at all on the CV-19 experimental vax prior to releasing it to see if it would stop the spread of CV. They didn't even bother to test it for that. It simply was not done. Yet what did we hear? We constantly heard that not only was the vax safe and effective, but that in taking it, the spread of the virus would be stopped in its tracks and those taking it would be protected from acquiring CV and wouldn't be able to pass it along. Well, we now know beyond doubt that this was completely untrue. So in effect, we were lied to and the lies continue. Yet how many people will continue to believe that the vax is safe and effective and does stop the spread of CV? Too many. Too many will believe that. It's almost impossible to talk to those people, though, because their cognitive dissonance will not allow them to ponder a viewpoint that goes against what they currently believe. And because of this, their anger usually rises and they tend to dismiss any representation of the facts as conspiracy theories. You right wingers, you're all whacked out. Look, imagine how much more this type of denial due to brainwashing will be increased during the coming tribulation. These men will talk about the fact, I'm sure, that Messiah is coming, that Jesus is returning, that God is going to take control of this planet, and we better get ready for that. Repent. That's what their main message will most likely be. And the people alive then will not want to hear it. And it will anger them so much that they will obviously try to kill these individuals. I cannot imagine these two men having to protect themselves supernaturally. And, and their messages will be so frighteningly real to the world where they will have the power to shut heaven with no rain turn water into blood so that it's undrinkable and bring numerous plagues to earth as often as they want to do that well it's clear then that things are dire during the time these men have their ministries instead of the left doing the canceling and doxing these two men will be doing that but it's important to remember that they do so not out of vindictiveness but out of love and concern for people and also to warn people of God's impending judgment. What these men try to accomplish is to bring the world to repentance so that they might be saved. Unfortunately, they fail on a global scale, though it's probable that some, especially in Israel, will receive the truth that they speak. Most will reject it. So the big question that often arises related to these two men is, well, who are they? Who are they? Well, the short and best answer is that we don't know. There's absolutely no sense in trying to figure it out either. God has not told us, therefore he doesn't think we need to know. That should be good enough. We don't know when the rapture is going to happen. We don't know when the day or the hour that the tribulation is going to start. We don't know many things, and God has chosen not to tell us. He doesn't think we need to know. All kinds of guesses have been made with respect to the identities of these two individuals, but I tend to agree with people like Dr. Thomas Constable, who essentially says that it is very likely that God will simply raise two unknown men during that time for this particular ministry. Certainly, God empowers them as he did Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and others. But to suggest that these men, as some have done, will rise from the dead as Moses or Elijah, I think is a bit of a stretch. Now, of course, God can do this if he wishes. Nothing is impossible with God, but I'm more inclined to think he will simply prepare two men at the time for that particular Ministry. Okay, so that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. I'm inclined to think that he will raise up two individuals that will be alive then for that particular ministry. Well, in Revelation eleven seven to ten, the beast quote unquote who rises out of the pit is the son of perdition or the antichrist. But it's also important to know that I believe the word beast is used thirty eight times in the book of Revelation, and it either means the Antichrist Satan or the False Prophet. So whoever it happens to be, I'm I'm guessing it's going to be the Antichrist at this point, and I'll tell you why in a minute. He successfully kills the two witnesses in Revelation eleven seven to ten. He is allowed, by the way, to do so purely because God allows him to do so, not because he is so powerful that he can go against God's wishes. Obviously, he has the power to kill these two people. God. Grants him that ability when God chooses to have that accomplished. Why? Well, because the world has been warned for three and a half years and their ministry is essentially over. However, they will have one more thing to say to the world in three and a half days after they are murdered. Now, notice in these verses, again, verses 7 and 10 of chapter 11, the bodies are simply not allowed to be buried. They lie dead in the streets for several days. Meanwhile, the world is celebrating their deaths as if the Wicked Witch of Oz has been killed. People are so ecstatic that they offer their adoration to the Antichrist who killed them. He's obviously more powerful than they are. Well, that murder of his cements for the world the fact that he is clearly superior to the witnesses who he obviously had the power to kill. But Antichrist was more powerful, right, than the witnesses. Witnesses had the power to kill, but Antichrist was more powerful because he was able to kill the witnesses. How? We don't know, but the deaths are unmistakable. Revelation 11, 11 through 14 reveals what happens next. Let me read that. Now, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Verse 14 says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Okay, let's look at this. What happens here? is in some ways a repeat of what occurred during the resurrection and ascension of our Lord three days after he was killed and he rose from the dead. And then 50 days later, some 50 days later, he ascended into heaven. Now, of course, Jesus determined the exact moment of his own death and he gave up his spirit into the hands of his loving father. In Acts chapter one, we see Jesus just simply float up into the clouds as the disciples watched. I doubt it was an instantaneous event like the blinking of an eye. It probably took a short bit of time as Jesus slowly ascended to the father in the third heaven. But notice here that these two witnesses are lying dead in the streets and imagine the cruelty that they may may have occurred uh, to their corpses. We don't know. Maybe God protected them, but I can see people walking by spitting and things like that. Their hatred is so visceral. But then God or an angel calls the two men from the dead and commands they come up here to heaven. Now, like Jesus, they ascended in a cloud and the world sees it. A few decades ago, we wouldn't have been able to guess as to how this would have been possible, that the world would see it at the same time. But with the internet and satellite pictures and video are transmitted around the world instantaneously. Imagine all the folks when this happens who are there who will grab their phones and start recording it live. Oh, and as an aside, I don't believe this event is a mirror of the rapture at all, though some folks do. I I see it, again, as more of mirroring the ascension of our Lord. But God isn't done because he sends a tremendous earthquake and a portion of the city falls and collapses. Roughly 7,000 people are killed. Notice here that people are finally afraid Afraid enough to give glory to the God of heaven. Does it last? Oh, no. No, it doesn't last. Usually once the fear has gone, well, I don't need to praise God anymore. I don't need to fear him. So this is the second woe, as it states in verse 14. And it is gone. The third one, remember a while ago, the eagle flying overhead saying there are three woes. Well, this one is the second one. The third one's on the way and it will come after the seventh trumpet judgment is released. Now, a woe is something that causes severe grief, affliction, or anguish. So Revelation eleven fifteen 15 through 19 highlights what occurs at the opening of the seventh trumpet. This is ultimately the beginning of the final consummation of God's plan for the entire world. This is the actual physical beginning of the transfer of this kingdom all the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God. This plan was decided on before the foundations of this world were laid in eternity past in the councils of the Godhead. This entire process from creation to the fall of humanity, to everything that occurred in the old Testament, to the new Testament, to Jesus's life, death, resurrection and ascension, as well as the final judgment period of the tribulation and Jesus's return. It was all designed by God to bring this world to heal and for God to regain what was stolen by Satan. Now, ultimately all of this leads to the revealing of Christ's physical kingdom, which will occur following the tribulation, which Jesus ends upon his physical return and which will continue for a thousand years. Now, after his thousand year reign is over Eternity future begins where he continues his reign in future. He reigns right now, by the way, from the right hand of the father. That is, there is no question of that. He reigns. There's not a time when he doesn't reign. The difference is, is during the millennial kingdom of 1000 years, he will reign physically on this earth from his father, David's throne in Jerusalem and we will the people alive then will see him will worship him will hear his voice will see his face will know and understand his absolute perfect love justice and righteousness that he has for his whole creation notice revelation 11:19 which says this then the temple of God was open in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Now imagine just how awe-inspiring and fearful that sight will be as the people of this world who have done everything possible to throw off God's chains, Psalm 2, will realize that they never had any chance of defeating God. And he is now getting ready to return to this earth as victor, judge, and sovereign king. Can you imagine if you're just outside one day, gardening or whatever, and the skies part, and you all of a sudden look up and see the Ark of the Covenant. And then you hear and see lightning, noises, thunderings, and there's an earthquake and great hail. Would you not be petrified? I'm sure I would. I'm sure you would. This is God's blessing to us that we have not seen this, that it is veiled by our own atmosphere. Imagine if we saw this. Well, there will be a time when the world, the people living then, will see it. Is the world moving toward the final year, seven-year tribulation period? Without a doubt. Every day we move one day closer. How quickly will that tribulation start? I have no idea. On the one hand, it certainly appears as though in some ways it's right around the corner, but it may not be. What we could be experiencing now are simply some very terrible events ahead in the form of economic upheaval, famine, and other things which aren't directly connected to the tribulation. I mean, it's happened in history before many times. On the other hand the tribulation could still be years or even decades away from us however with what is said to be coming we really would do very well to make preparations as much as you're able as much as you're able do what you can well next time in this series on revelation we're going to look at revelation 12 and i really hope to have the video by then um I made a mistake last time, didn't get it recorded correctly. So I want to make sure I do this correctly next time. So we'll look at Revelation 12, which has some extremely interesting and exciting things to reveal to us. I hope you'll join me then. And until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to study grow. Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective.